0: Hello, everyone. It is Jenna Moore, performance dietitian. I am so excited about this episode. We talk with one of my favorite dietitians in the whole world. Her name is Emily La Bombard. She is one of our integrative dietitians here at Inc. Nutrition, and she is just a wizard when it comes to intuitive eating, helping people find success with intuitive eating and uh getting away from that diet culture diet mentality and finding truth with your food so today we talk about women's health we talk about masculine and feminine energies one of my favorite topics as you know and just how to find success with your hormonal health when it comes to nutrition so i hope you enjoy this one's really really good and important for you ladies out there and reach out if you have any questions for us all of the love the whole healing podcast Healing through nutrition by connecting your mind, body, and food. Your emphasis is women's health and functional medicine and a of nutrition. Um, Are there certain areas that you like to focus on with women's, women's health?
1: Yeah. So I really think that intuitive eating, body image, body positive, I guess, not even body positivity, because I think that's almost transformed into this like toxic positivity. I don't know if you've seen that on Instagram and like TikTok and things like that, where it's almost too far in the positive section. Um, But I guess like body neutrality, focusing more on like what our body does for us rather than the image-based of it. So a lot of intuitive eating, um, hormonal health for sure, Um, definitely into that lens, but really just understanding like the relationship with our mind, body, food, like we talk about all the time and how that all correlates. Um, especially within like the women population.
0: And so like when it comes to women's health, are you interested in any certain ailments with women like PCOS or endometriosis or or is it like more like pregnancy driven? Like what are what are your areas of expertise in, in women's health as, as it relates to like diseases, diet related disease even?
1: I think almost all of the above, right? I think endometriosis, PCOS is very much, I'm not sure if it's becoming more prevalent or we're diagnosing it more. Um, but I think that, that's very much like the interest that I'm going towards is um, how our hormones play such a role into our health. Um, And also menopause I think is so, so interesting and something that's very just much not talked about in like the health world is kind of like, Oh, well, women go through menopause and that's it. But it just has such a role on our bodies. And um, it has such a, as we go through menopause, we're at higher risk for certain diseases, Um, things like osteoporosis, um, heart disease. And so, figuring out how can we really use nutrition to um, help the symptoms, help those hormonal balances um, transition so we can support um, more positive health moving forward. So, yeah, menopause, endometriosis, really interesting, PCOS, even just PMS, like um, premenstrual syndrome as a whole. Um, I've just been reading more and more about how we have normalized it so much as a culture, for women that PMS is normal, it's what you should be experiencing with your um, menstrual cycle. And that's just not the case. Um, And so finding ways to really um, enhance um, our diet to help minimize those symptoms, because they can be really, really debilitating for some people. Um, And I mean, at the end of the day, it's a week out of a month, sometimes longer. And so how can we really um, improve quality of life um, throughout the whole month rather than just like a couple weeks?
0: Oh my gosh, that is so good. You are, you are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. (laughs) Of
1: course, of course. I love to, I could talk about this for hours. So,
0: (laughs) oh, that's so great.
1: Foods to eat during certain phases of our cycle, um, how they influence our hormones. And I think really just understanding hormones as a whole, um, and what they do for our body, um, their role in our cycle, Um, and then really just talking about, yeah, menopause nutrition, I think could be really interesting and a little bit about birth control, because that's really how I personally got into hormonal health to begin with, which I don't think I've actually shared too much. Um, but the role of just hormonal birth control and its impact on our bodies and really that sparked my interest years and years ago. Um, and how it's like developed since then.
0: I'm sure all of us have had our own variation of horror stories when it comes to birth control, but, um, but if you want to share your story, that'd be amazing.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I was only on, so I started birth control. I started like the oral contraceptive. So just the pill Um, back in college. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college, maybe a freshman. And I hadn't been on it before. Like uh, my periods weren't bad at all, but I was just like, um, I wanted something more regular because I was always just so irregular throughout high school. And I was like, let me try something different. And all my friends were on it. And so I was like, oh, this is like the cool thing, quote unquote, to do. I was like, let me go on birth control. We'll see how it goes. And it was absolutely miserable. And I know people have different experiences with it and really finding the right birth control, whether it's oral contraceptive, like IUDs, um, arm implant, like the arm bar, the Nexapalon. Um, it really does. It's so individualized to your body. So I'm not saying all birth control is bad. I just, um, the one that I was on the oral contraceptive was just miserable. I experienced like depression, like symptoms. I was always tired. I woke up with morning sickness, like most days of the week, which was crazy to me that I'd wake up so nauseous. Um, I gained significant amount of weight on it. My skin looks great. So that was a positive, but, um, It was just absolutely miserable. So after a couple of months, I think I was on it for nine to 10 months, I was like, this is enough. Um, I really need to change something. And I just felt like a stranger in my own body. And so I was doing research because I was studying nutrition at the time. And I knew that uh, birth control did have an impact on our nutrition and also the hormones. And so going off of it, I was like, let me do some research and see um, how I can kind of gently ease myself off of these hormones. And so I was looking into it. And then that's when I started finding how nutrition and food can really help to support hormones, both going off birth control and just normally. Um, And so that's kind of what really sparked my interest to begin with, because I had no idea the role that it played um, at first. And so I got off of birth control. And then that's when I also experienced just that imbalance of hormones noticed. And still, I was fatigued. I was still, um, I was bloated and just nauseous all the time. And my gut microbiome was totally off. Um, everything that I ate just made me so uncomfortable. And so I started to really pinpoint nutrition and how I can positively influence how I felt. And it definitely took, it took months. It took like months and years to really find what works for my body. But I finally did and finally found like the power of, one, having your period and understanding your hormones and how nutrition plays into that. And I was like, I want all women to experience how powerful it can be when you're in tune with your body.
0: Oh, that is so powerful. I love that. So um, I, I don't know, are you familiar with the book Beyond the Pill? Um, I actually, yes, I am. I haven't read it just yet, but I am. It's it's just a great resource I think for women who are getting off the pill because it talks about all the all the B vitamins and nutrients magnesium selenium that your that your that the pill naturally depletes, yes. and women coming off of the pill I, and it's so interesting because your story sounds like it happened you know to, to you as well like it takes months or years for your body to normalize sometimes and and um just come come away from that hormonal disbalance
1: I think. Yes, exactly. Completely. And that's something too, that I feel like isn't discussed enough is the nutritional deficiencies that we experience with birth control. Um, especially, I mean, it's mostly oral contraceptives cause that's going through our stomach and there's a few less with the IUD, but it's still like B vitamins, magnesium, um, selenium, like you had said, and zinc is a big one as well. And so finding, um, nutritionally, how can we support that if you want to stay on birth control and by all means, I'm not saying that birth control is bad. Um, It's really just finding the tailored one for you and then nutritionally um, supporting your body through that.
0: You know, we had had a couple of conversations, some great conversations about this idea of um, living in a masculine dominant world, right? And living in a world where, you know, the, the women tend to take the hit for the responsibility in the birth control. And there's just not a lot of a lot of opportunity for men to really, um, uh, what do I want to say here, take on the responsibility for being someone who can manage the birth control aspect of it, even though, you know, there's, there's a growing body of evidence showing that men's oral contraceptives may be more effective, less harmful to them. I, I think hopefully in the future, we'll see more advancements in that, in
1: that field. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with you. I totally am just on board for that wavelength of how can we make it. um, I mean, it takes two to tango in this. And so birth control shouldn't just be a one woman um, responsibility. And also, I think it can almost be easier to navigate because women work on a 28 day cycle. Our hormones are on this 28 day um, hormonal cycle and men work on a 24 hour cycle And so balancing those hormones, I think is, I mean, obviously, I don't know too, too much about like the science behind hormonal birth control and creating it, I guess, from a research lens. But from the 24-hour cycle, is that easier to control rather than a 28-day cycle? And so can scientists work to navigate that and really create symptom-free birth control? That's really effective. Oh, I love that. That's
0: so fascinating. And I hope <clears throat> I hope you don't mind me segueing because I think um along with this, like men and women relationship, I kinda wanted to talk about intuitive eating with you because um because one of one of the things that I've noticed about you is you are so good naturally at at just talking about intuitive eating, helping people and explain what it is and understand what it is. And it's interesting. There's been a couple articles that have come out in the past couple of weeks talking about the history of women and what the ideal body type looks like. And, you know, in the 1910, 1920s, 30s, 40s, there's been like this, you know, always emphasis, unfortunately, on on, on the thinner side, but still curvaceous. And then all of a sudden in the 1960s is when uh, Twiggy era came in. And, um, Twiggy was, uh, an actress who was just stick thin and I had no idea about her. I didn't, I didn't know, but she was, you know, she kind of pioneered the, the model of, okay, women are a stick figure, you know, no, no curves, no, you know, no, um, women, fi- women figure at all. And, um, talking about how women have had to conform to this very masculine body type, um, in order to, be considered acceptable or, um, even just like attractive, which is so bizarre,
1: right? So, oh my gosh, it's so wild to me that we are basing beauty and standards and just our self-worth on these trends that come and go exactly like you're saying, where it's shifting in the 1910s, it was a certain way in the 1960s, it's almost like we're like clothes, right? And our bodies are not closed. They are vehicles to move through life and give us energy and do what we love. And to view them as such this um, passive, ongoing, changing trend to fit other people's idea is just like painful for me to hear because we're just worth so much more than that.
0: Mm, I love
1: that. I love the way you
0: look at that. That's that makes so much sense to me. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I think what happened was it was kind of this ticking time bomb where, you know, the, the stick figure, the the very masculine female figure being a trend just so happened to occur during a time where technology was was going through a revolution. And so now all of a sudden, it's not just like we're watching a black and white colored screen with a woman's figure on it it's everywhere it's on social media it's on our televisions it's on our emails I mean it's everywhere it's on our billboards so so now all of a sudden it's almost like we've amplified this stick figure at the at the very wrong time you know what I mean
1: completely and there's just no escape from it exactly like you said it's on billboards and our laptops and our phones and we're just always being inundated with all of this um information and like perception of how we should look. And another big thing is these billboards, the social media, a lot of it is edited. Um a lot of it is totally just not in a lot of its lighting and unrealistic um viewpoints of women and angles and there's some beautiful social media accounts that are kind of starting to show just the gaps in how we perceive women and how it's shown on social media where They'll show one picture of dark lighting where it's not as flattering. And then they'll show one picture that highlights certain parts of your body and just shows how they're seconds apart, but the body can look so different on a photograph. And so I think looking at that and seeing that it really is so, social media is just such a little landscape and pinpoint in time that's just not realistic to every day.
0: Oh, I love that you're saying that. Yeah, I think people are so... Um, they're so fooled, right? Like by, by the the tricks of of photography and and by social media. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think, you know, for me growing up and I, I I don't know about you, but you know, I think every woman goes through her own version or variation of disordered eating, whether it be just poor body image or, um, you know, a full blown eating disorder, anywhere on that spectrum, really some woman tends to fall. Every woman I think tends to fall at some point in her life. And, and, you know, for me, it was growing up with the society and just, you know, seeing all these things on media wasn't really an effort to convince me that, oh, okay, like it's just a trend, but just understanding the difference in, in the feminine and masculine energies and understanding that we're so driven and imbalanced, I think, in our society, because it's always about produce, drive, deliver results, and, and that those are very masculine traits, whereas in the feminine The the traits tend to be, I am enough as I am, and I don't need to push or drive. Things will come to me naturally as they're supposed to. And there's this, you know, divine feminine faith that everything's going to work out and that I, you know, I am, we are enough as we are, and we don't need to change anything in order to optimize them.
1: I absolutely love that. Oh my goodness. You're so spot on. And I think that's where intuitive eating comes into play too, is trusting our intuition and trusting that we know that. Um, and like trusting ourselves within just ourselves and kind of taking away the comparison. Like you had said, growing up, it's just this constant state of when you're like a teenager and you're a young girl and young woman, you're always comparing yourself. And I feel like that can draw towards that masculine energy of comparison and competitiveness, even though it's not competitiveness like sports, but it's this internal like, oh, I need to look like that, or I need to look a certain way, wear a certain clothing. And I think when we shift it to that more feminine approach of intuition and I am enough and um, going through that perspective and lens can really be so powerful and really help to cater a positive relationship with food. Um, I think you just hit the
0: nail on the head that I am I am just so charged up from this like this is oh my gosh I cannot wait to show this is the three women on the planet um, it really comes back to competition, right? Like a competition is a very masculine trait, um, and comparison. And and so when women do this to each other, um, one, it increases hostility between women, I think. And, and two, I also think that it, it creates this dynamic where we're not enough as we are. And so now all of a sudden there, you know, it's, it's this constant state of dissatisfaction because if we're comparing instead of really paying attention to, um, the, the dominion, um, of confidence and, and the state of dominion, um, uh, being, you know, being our authority. I think, I think that's when it it tends to be able to shift. So how do you counsel people when it comes to intuitive eating and, and, and how do you start and how do you get them on the right track?
1: Yeah, I, you bring up such a great point because, I mean, we've both been talking about this for so long. It's been in a vocabulary for a while, and so it becomes almost second nature. But to someone who is brand new to this exactly, who has been in this chronic dieting, yo-yo dieting landscape in society, it's really hard to understand the idea of intuition and how to apply that to your life. And so I always like to start that it's going to feel uncomfortable and very vulnerable at first. It's going to feel awkward and weird and very, very abnormal. But it does with consistency, patience, and like grace for yourself, it will slowly come more naturally. And so I say this too, when we're first starting, you might go the total other way and that's okay. And I mean, and when I say this, I mean like when we're talking about intuitive eating, we've been in this restrictive mindset a lot of times for so long where the idea of eating a food that we are craving or that we want is just completely out of our scope. We're like, what do you mean we can just have a cookie or a brownie? Or what do you mean I can actually eat when I'm hungry? Um, And it just is such a strange concept. And so what I first tell clients and people that I work with is, listen to that first instinct, right? Listen to your gut. It's almost this like, instead of like intuition, if we say like trust your gut, that can be a little bit more um, like understandable just because we've heard it a little bit more. Um, It seems a little more um, attainable. And so when that first happens, I talk with where I'll be talking with clients and they're like, yes, like I'm really hungry um, when I wake up in the morning, but I just feel like I shouldn't eat because I want to like either save calories or I just should eat later in the day because I've heard that's what I should do. And that's kind of where I start is like, where's that first place of I want to do this, but I feel like I should do that. So when we start with that language, I want and I should, that's kind of where I target the intuitive eating approach. So as soon as you say I want to bring intuitive eating in, we're going to listen to that want. If you want to eat breakfast, we're going to have breakfast. If you want to have a piece of cake after dinner, we're going to have that piece of cake. If you want to go for a walk, you're going to go for a walk. And so it's listening to that want rather than the should. Um, and I feel like that's a very um, achievable place because we have this internal dialogue in our head. And it's first acknowledging that internal dialogue. And so that's a great place to start is just acknowledging, where's this gap? Where am I not listening to myself? Oh, that's so
0: beautiful. I love that mind shift. It's just, uh, it's just about doing, living a higher
1: quality life. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And um, it you do almost, it's kind of like a pendulum too, right? We're trying to find equilibrium. We're trying to find this middle of the pendulum, the balance zone, Right now we're kind of on when we're not intuitive eating or we're in this really chronic dieting again restrictive um, mindset we're on the opposite end of the pendulum where we're just not accepting anything and sometimes we need to swing to the other side of the pendulum to accepting everything in order to find that balance Um, and that's a really hard concept to grasp and understand because i think People are so afraid of gaining weight and looking a certain way. Again, it's coming back to body image and perception that the idea of going all in is terrifying. And so it's finding that all in is okay. And it doesn't mean that it's changing your worth or your value. You're just going to find the confidence, like we talked about the intuition that's going to bring you so much more balance that looking a certain way and having a certain perception will never bring you it's like a deep rooted confidence that will truly change your life.
0: Yes, and I I think what you're saying here is something that I've felt personally and it is probably the most valuable sensation I've ever felt in my life. It's 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 worth it. And and I know I agree with you and what a beautiful way to put it that it's so scary and uncomfortable at first because it is. We're going against what we've always been taught in society and we're actually choosing to do what's right for ourselves for the first time <laughs> perhaps right. I
1: would <laughs> the that is completely
0: i know and so and so yeah i I do agree with you it's very uncomfortable it's very raw and vulnerable um but the intention is to get the satisfaction the sensation of of wholeness that i think we're, we're craving so often in our life and i think probably one of the reasons that so many women eat when they're not biologically hungry right we're we're, we're hungry for something more and because we haven't found it, we're, we're, we're stifling it down with food. So I think that if we can, if we can redirect that energy, um, feed our heart more and, and our stomach less. Um, and, and when we're only, you know, or when, we're, when we're, especially when, when we're hungry and we, and we know it, that we need it, to, you know, for, for our bodies and also feeding our heart, right? Like I think managing our emotions, I, I, I don't think that dietitians feel more feel comfortable enough with the idea of talking about emotions when it comes to food. And I think, you know, there's this, there's like this awkward dynamic in the field of nutrition and dietetics where everybody thinks like, oh, I'm not a therapist. So unless I'm talking only about food, then I'm not doing my job and I'm out of my scope. And it's like, we're not providing cognitive therapies, but we have to understand that food is so, so, so emotional and psychological and so sometimes, I, I don't know about you, but there are days where I have conversations with clients and we've spent maybe less than two minutes talking about food.
1: <laughs> yes, right? Yep. <laughs> completely, completely. Because food is, I always say this, food is not just food. There is always a driving factor behind food. And we're never, I can tell you to sit here and have um, fruits and vegetables all day. But if we're not understanding and having that conversation, those 58 minutes of emotional conversation behind why we're choosing the food that we do, we're going to make no progress. And so it really is that sometimes talking about food for two minutes is exactly what needs to happen. Um, Thank you so much for such a beautiful conversation in our little teepees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so welcome, my teepee. My, pod- my podcast recording
0: teepee. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, I will, um, I will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Okay. You as well. Bye, Emily. Bye. Bye.